I've had a really good day today. It's been a good day. I don't care if it is Labor Day weekend. Anytime I get to preach, that's a hallelujah. I'm glad about that. And you know what? You guys are here for a reason. And you had no idea that I was going to get to do this. So you brave people. God bless you all. You came in spite of that. So I had, a, I had lunch today at, at Peden's restaurant. It's in Powdersville in the little strip where Grandma Peaches used to be. Is that right? Wonderful. I highly recommend the collard greens. And uh, they had a squash casserole that was really good. So that takes you back through lunch. And then this morning I got to hear Randy Elrod teach Sunday school. Now I've known Randy all my life. And I played on football teams with Randy. <laughs> and I've never had a chance to have Randy teach and me sit into it blessed my heart. It was probably, and Karen and I were talking about this later, best Sunday school lesson I've sat under in many a year. It really was. God just was all over it. And uh, I was just remembering, I told Randy afterwards, I blessed him like he blessed me a few years ago. Brent hadn't been gone very long, and Randy came to our Sunday school class. And he never gets to come in the Sunday school class. He came and sat through the whole lesson, and, and he had a comment. Halfway through the lesson, he stopped me. He said, George, you got to stop. He said, I, I'm not used to being this smart. And he meant it as a compliment. But, you know, it was sort of backhanded. But it just made me laugh out loud that Randy would stop the class to point out something like that. And I said, Randy, it, you know, I don't know that I'm that smart, but obviously you think something's radically different. So I must have been really... Not smart. He stopped the whole lesson to tell me that, and it blessed me. So today, when he got done, I went up and hugged him. I said, you blessed me. It really was awesome. And he was, uh, he was so good and relaxed. And as he teaches, he teaches sitting down. I, he said, I'm, I just teach sitting down. So I thought that was awesome. I had a great day today. Got a scare couple of weeks ago, well it was the 17th, it was a Thursday, so Brother Dave was with me the, pretty much the whole time through that, he came and sat with me at the, uh, at the St. Francis Hospital in the cardiac waiting room while they put two stents in my wife's heart, and we didn't even know that it was, we thought it was reflux, I mean that's the most serious case of reflux I have ever seen, when they actually have to go into the heart and, and fix it. When the, when the doctor came out and told us, Dave, you could have knocked me over with a feather. She had a 99% blockage in one, over, or in an 85 in the other. But now I can't keep up with her. I'm going to have to go in and get checked out. Because she's just like a new woman. So I've just been enjoying the grace of God on us for the last several weeks. And how he has taken care of us in spite of us thinking that was reflux. I hung up my stethoscope. I don't diagnose anything medical anymore. I'm done. I'm going to stick to fiber optic cable and, and maybe an occasional itinerant preaching spell. Amen. Tonight, i got a, a message for you. Is it your time? Is it your time? The original title of the message is A Tale of Two Trees. 
And a friend of ours in Little Rock preached this message back at Mother's Day. And I've taken from that and used that. And it's found in Luke 13. So you can go ahead and turn with me to Luke 13. And when we get to the lesson, when we get to the message, you will already be ready. Let's start by asking a question. I think most of us have thought about this at some point in our lives. What did Jesus look like when he was walking on the earth? Now, as far as salvation and what does it matter, it it doesn't. But as far as helping me get started with the lesson, it's very important. Y'all have to go with me on this. What did he look like? I used to see a picture in my grandmother's house of praying hands, Jesus. You know the one I'm talking about. And he had the long brown flowing hair, right? He was white, Caucasian guy. Looked like he might have been from South Carolina. We've all seen that picture. I was in a, in a black church not too many years ago, and he was black. And you know what, I shouldn't have thought anything of it, but it struck me as funny. That that was, I was used to South Carolina Jesus, and they're probably used to something else. So what did he look like? The Bible doesn't say, so there's no wrong answer. So just tell me what you think is in your mind. This is the participation part, folks. What did he look like? He was strong. He was Jewish. Those are really good answers. You know, he was a carpenter's son. And he was raised in the carpentry shop. And it wasn't like they had two-by-fours laying. I mean, they had these big old rough-cut beams. And there was a lot of work in general carpentry. And I imagine it worked him pretty good. I don't imagine Joseph laid up on him pretty... I imagine he made him work. And he was, he was fit. Now, I'm not thinking he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's not where I'm going. But I think he was country strong. I think he was a carpenter. I think he had carpenter's hands. He had the calluses in the right places. And he was a Jew. Billy said he was Jewish. I think that's who said it, Billy. So he would look like your garden variety Hebrew of the day. The Bible gives us one glimpse. Isaiah 53 verse 2. You don't have to turn there. I wrote it down. You might write it down. Isaiah 53 2. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Now, occasionally the Bible talks about people that were good-looking. King David, when he was a young boy, was ruddy and good-looking. Esther was pretty. We know that uh, Abraham's wife, Sarai, was very pretty. Everybody wanted to marry Sarai. Remember that? So occasionally the Bible does address how we look. But in Jesus' case, nothing. In fact, If you go through the four Gospels and you read about the Gospels' accounts, you never, ever, not one time ever, hear them say, well, he had the biggest eyes. Or he had that beautiful brown flowing hair. 
Or he was so tall. You don't hear anything. Do you? But he was out without form or comeliness. Comeliness is attractiveness. He was without attractiveness. means he was not exceptionally attractive. He was normal. In fact, he would heal somebody and move back in the crowd and the guy would look around and say, I can't find him. He was so normal that he fit in with the crowd so well that he would move through the crowd and get lost in them. He was your normal, everyday Jewish guy. God didn't give him any extra benefits of looks to help him with his ministry. Just a normal guy. Makes me happy every day, Chris. When I get up and look in the mirror, I say, Hallelujah. It's good enough for Jesus. It works for me. And so, he was not. But you know what he was? When he did the works of his father in ways that manifested in miracles, he had exceptional, unexpected power. Here was this normal guy with this exceptional, supernatural, unexpected, didn't see that coming, power. And he used to just blow people away with some of the things he did. Just this normal Jewish guy. So, let's read just a minute now and we'll talk about why that that strikes anybody as important because he was proclaiming something that John the Baptist proclaimed. What was Jesus, what did Jesus say that was the same as John the Baptist? Repent for the kingdom of heaven. You guys are pitiful. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Thank you. My goodness. Maybe Labor Day, y'all will study harder or something. I just don't know. Read with me, starting in verse 18. Let's look in verse 18 of Luke chapter 13. Here you're going to see two little short parables, and both of them talk about the kingdom of heaven. Then he said, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and put in his garden and it grew and became a large tree and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Now he's speaking to a crowd of folks in a synagogue. And he is explaining about the kingdom of heaven and what that is. Now the kingdom of heaven symbolizes God's rule and reign on the earth. You know the thousand year reign of Christ in Jerusalem. It symbolizes God's rule and reign on the earth. And he said... What shall I compare it to? That important word there is I. Do you know why that's an important word? Because he's the only one that can say. Because he's the only one that's been there. And if anybody knows, that man knows. 
He said, what can I compare it to? He didn't say, what can we compare it to? He didn't say, what would you compare it to? He said, what, what should I compare it to? And then he starts telling them about this little mustard seed. Now, in that day, a mustard seed was the tiniest seed they knew of. It was the smallest seed. And, you know, you can find a tomato seed. They're pretty small. Watermelon seeds, they're getting kind of rare. used to spit them on my sister when we were young, but uh, you can't hardly find a watermelon with a seed in it anymore. So a mustard seed is a little bitty, tiny. If you put it on the end of your finger, you might think it was a speck of dust. It's that little. He said, it's, it's kind of like a mustard seed. He said, and you plant it, and it sprouted up, and it became this tree, this huge tree. Well, mustard never made trees. It was mustard bushes. They made shrubs. Think, think red-tipped bushes. It, it never got much bigger than that. But this tree was huge. And so Jesus was telling them, people get t- tied up in the birds and the trees, and there's all kinds of commentary on this. But, but here's the point that Jesus was trying to make to these people here. The kingdom of heaven has an unexpected size. What might start out as pretty small and unassuming, one man dying on a cross outside of Jerusalem has tremendous implications over time. And it's much bigger than anyone ever thought it might be. That's what he's saying. He said, the kingdom of heaven is way bigger than you would ever expect it to be. Are you getting that? So it starts very small and unassuming, and it gets very big, way out of proportion to what people would normally think it might be. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like that. It has unexpected size. And then he goes on, and in verses 20 and 21, he talks about it being like leaven in three measures of, uh, of, of meal. Now, three measures was about 50 pounds of dough. Somebody was making a lot of cornbread. 50 pounds of dough. Three measures. And the lady put the leaven in the, in the meal and mixed it up and worked it in. And what happens after you apply yeast to a dough? It goes. It goes, doesn't it? Can you go in and get, if you want to stop it, Can you say, wait, let me go back and get the leaven out? You can't stop it. In fact, you can't even figure out where to start to stop it. And it has unexplainable power. Irreversible process. The kingdom of heaven has not only unexpected size, it has unexplainable power. Unexplainable power. And you can't stop it. Boy, that would have been a good place for for dead Baptists to say, yes, amen, hallelujah. You can't stop it. That's what I'm saying. Help a boy out. Trying to preach this thing. Why was Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven in this synagogue? Well, George, you started in the middle. Let's go back just a little bit and look at verse 10 through 17. I want, us, I want us to see now why he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. Because here's the king. And he's unassuming. And nobody sees it coming. And he don't look like a king. 
He wasn't born where a king should be. He doesn't act like a king. And he's talking about the king is describing his kingdom. How appropriate. What led him to do that? Let's look, if you would, with me back at verse 10. And let me read to you just a little more. In verse 10 it says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. I like this part. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. So what led up to discussing the kingdom is this healing. Jesus is in the synagogue. Here comes this woman in, bent over, and she could by no means get up. So she's coming in. You reckon that would stand out in a crowd? He sees her. He calls her to him. Added 18 years. 18 years. Just like this. It was a spirit. The Bible says it was a spirit of infirmity. It was a spirit of infirmity. He heals her. And the guy in the synagogue had the nerve to tell them to come back the other six days if they wanted healing. Who was going to do the healing? Him? Seriously. Who was going to heal him? Him? It didn't say he spoke to Jesus, did it? He didn't confront the Lord. It says he spoke to the crowd. What a chicken. What an idiot. How typical. Jesus spoke to him directly hypocrite I know you got a donkey at home I know you loose it and let it get water on the Sabbath this is a child of Abraham she's kin to you this woman is your cousin been like this 18 years and you wouldn't let me heal her on the Sabbath when the crowd heard it look at verse 17 again this is the whole message right here So please pay attention to this part. In verse 17, when the crowd heard it, and when he said these things, 
my version of this says, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. After he said that in the synagogue, there was rejoicing. You can just hear the people in the pews, much like yourselves, cheering, yes! Yes! Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! I don't know if they jumped pews back then. Would have been a good time. They were rejoicing in the church, the synagogue, and having a fit, my version. His adversaries were put down. The people rejoiced, and his glory was shown. In other words, folks, that verse is a little snippet of heaven. A little snippet of heaven. If you write in your Bible, write heaven right there beside that. And Jesus, knowing all things and sensing the time, realized these people had just experienced a little piece of heaven. He had just got through, he just went off and told them, we have unexpected power in the kingdom of heaven. It's way bigger than this little rejoicing fit we're having. Way bigger. It's got unexpected power. You will never be able to stop it. Amen. Well, you know, if it's that big, Chris, and it's that powerful, and it's this much fun, why don't we just do it right now, Jesus? Just go ahead and let's just do it right now. And he knew you were going to say that. So he took us back to verse 6. Now, I'm doing this whole thing backwards, and that's just not fair, is it? And I thought about naming this back to the future. But it would have taken a long time. And that... Go back to verse 6. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it, and if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. So I didn't know this, but as I was preparing back in Leviticus chapter 19, there's a law about planting fruit trees in the promised land. And if you were to plant trees the first three years that they bear, so, you know, your fig tree may grow and grow and grow and grow, and then the first figs come out. That's year one. And year two, in year three, you're not supposed to touch the figs. They're unclean. And the fourth year that it bears fruit, that fruit is for the Lord. So you don't get figs that year either. So you're four years into the deal of bearing fruit with the fig tree before you get any figs. And then the man had come for three years waiting on his figs. Year five, year six, year seven. He was mad at his tree. And he was ready to root it up and cut it down and move on because he said it's just taking up the ground. Mm, that hurts. 
if we're dead Christians that are doing very little in this world, can you see what I see that it looks a lot like we look like a dead fig tree? Can you make that connection with me? Jesus told this parable about the keeper of the orchard. Sir, please leave it alone one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize around it. And if it bears figs, we'll know. And if not, you can take it down next year. What was Jesus telling the people? Give it another chance. Because he has, the kingdom of heaven is full of incomparable mercy. Mercy. Not only is there unexpected size, not only is there amazing, unstoppable power, but the kingdom of heaven is about amazing mercy. And, and people in the synagogue he spoke to, and the people in the nation of Israel he spoke to, and the people at Mount Airy he might speak to, and he would say, I'm giving you more time. Because the kingdom is not ready until you are all there. Everybody that's supposed to be in the kingdom, I'm waiting for you to finally get to the kingdom. And then we'll have the kingdom. You understand that? Jesus is waiting because of his great mercy. Because of his great mercy. The kingdom of heaven, a tale of two trees. It's like a mustard tree in its unexpected size, but it's also like that slow fig tree that he's waiting on it to bear the fruit. This is one of those don't raise your hand moments in advance. How many of you have ever been like that other fig tree? That the fruit took a while to come out. And he had to dig around the roots and tear things up a little bit and put some fertilizer back before the fruit came out. So there's a warning there if you're a non-productive fig tree, watch out for your roots. He might be tearing your roots up pretty soon. You ever thought about that? I'm going to wrap up tonight and I'm going to talk about time. Jesus gave the fig tree parable to let the nation of Israel know they still had some time. There was still time. He had straightened the woman who had a spirit of infirmity. And he showed, I'm going to deal with Satan. In his time, I will completely deal with him. It won't take but a word. One word. And I'll deal with him. As far as us... The only people, the only person in the whole place that ran out of time was the woman who was stooped over at 18 years. That day was her time. It was her time. And Jesus called her to him. And he said, you be healed. It was her time. That day. And you know, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is. In Hebrews 3... He quoted from Psalm 95. Today, if you will hear, your, hear his voice, harden not your heart. 
today maybe someone's time and i don't know what we bring in here i was i was alluding to this earlier i don't believe in accidents i i think that everybody that's in here is supposed to be here for whatever reasons that god knows but maybe it's time maybe it's time for you today to be healed from something you've been carrying around a long time maybe you've been afflicted with something that you need to let go of and claim victory over through the blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's time. God is gracious, not wanting any man to be lost. Now, I will say this as we finish. There is one place in the Bible that describes how Jesus looks. Did you know that? Revelation, where he was talking to his friend, John. John the Beloved, the one who rested on his chest, the one he loved. In Revelation, let me see if I can find it. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one, like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool. I can forget the long brown hair thing now. That's gone. The conquering king that's coming back has hair white like wool. As white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Well, what color were his eyes? Uh-huh. You just wait. Like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. His feet glowed. His feet glowed like they had just come out of a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. We just went through an eclipse. Couldn't even, had to, had to get the special glasses. His countenance was like the sun. And when John saw him, the same John who loved him, who rested on his breast, he fell at his feet like a dead man. Only place we get Jesus described. That's how he looks. How he's going to be. But that man, our God, is giving us time. Maybe tonight's for you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you know all things. There's nothing that escapes your mind or your notice or your heart. You know where each one of us are in our walk with you. And Lord, you know if the fruit has been born on the fig tree or if the roots need to be dug up. Father, I thank you for your mercy, which passes any understanding in your grace, which is more than sufficient for everything we go through. I thank you for this night. And for these, my brothers and sisters, that you would love them, Lord, and encourage them 
to know what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of God that passes knowledge so that they can be filled with all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, amen.